That is our prayer. O Spirit of God, come into this place in such a way that no heart would be left untouched, no soul unmoved, no mind unchanged, and enable us to see Jesus anew because of your Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I just want to mention before we begin that it's a pleasure to uh, welcome Randy and Linda Corbin uh, to our sanctuary this morning. Randy and Linda, would you please stand? Randy was our senior pastor back a number of years ago here at the Village Church, and it's always a delight to have you come back and visit with us. It's a pleasure to share the ministry together. And as we begin to look at the Word this morning, we return to our series on the core values of the Village Church. Uh, you'll recall that I mentioned a few weeks ago that we have a mission statement that we spent some time developing, and that mission statement has already been alluded to this morning uh, by Pastor Don and by myself. It is that we are building a community of forgiveness, purpose, and hope in Jesus Christ. And you'll also recognize that the core of that mission statement are three things. The first is forgiveness. We need to be in a right relationship with God. We need to be forgiven of our sins by Christ alone. But also forgiveness means that we also need to be a forgiving people. We need to be extending forgiveness to others, to our family, to friends, to even to those who have hurt us, and even to our enemies. And then the second element of that triad is purpose. We need to know why we are here. We need to know what gets us up in the morning. What does God have for us to do and to be at this time in life's journey? And then finally, the third element of the triad is hope. We're coming down the home stretch of life. Eternity is closer now than it has ever been. And it's coming faster than we ever imagined, isn't it? We need to have both courage and assurance that we will enter eternity in the presence of God, the God of grace and glory. And then that triad is bracketed by two elements. The first is community. We are building a community of forgiveness, purpose, and hope. And that's because we can't fulfill this mission by ourselves. We need one another to do it. We do it in community. And then the final element of that mission statement is that it is in Jesus Christ, because none of this happens apart from Christ, who is our Savior, our Sanctifier, our Healer, and our coming King. You'll recall also from a few weeks ago that we uh, fleshed out that mission statement by articulating our core values. These are non-negotiables that we believe the Word of God compels us to both believe and apply. We value the glory of God. We value the word of God. We value the sufficiency of Christ. We value the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We value the great commission of Christ. We value the body of Christ. And we value prayer. And we've been in the midst of a series on those core values. We've already addressed the glory of God and the word of God and then the Great Commission of Christ. And the Great Commission was the last of the messages that I shared on these core values. And the Great Commission, as you'll recall, is the command of Jesus 
of it to go to the church, to take the church and to go to all the world and preach the gospel to all nations. Then we interrupted that series on the core values for Global Impact Week. Really? Was, was that an interruption? What do you think? Was that really an interruption? Did we truly stray from our core values when we explored the international ministries with which we are engaged? No, Global Impact Week was essentially the Great Commission explained and illustrated. That's what the Great Commission is all about. So this week, we continue in our series on the core values, but we've never left that series. Global Impact Week was the Great Commission Part Deux. Check with David Pavey. He'll translate that for you. And so now we continue in our series. We focus on another of our core values, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and in doing so, we leave the Great Commission behind. We spent three weeks on it, and now we leave it behind. Really? Maybe not. No, we don't leave the Great Commission behind when we talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is integral to the Great Commission. You'll recall that a few weeks ago when we introduced the core value of the Great Commission, we noted that there are, in fact, five Great Commissions in Scripture, and all of them either mention explicitly or describe the effects of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Just think of Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And then there's Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 45. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should be suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem." You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending you, listen, the promise of my Father upon you. Who's that? That's the Holy Spirit. And then he says, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And then there's Mark chapter 16. Uh, He said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. And they will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. Those are evidences of the ministry of the Holy Spirit that was in view in that first century, especially speaking in tongues, which accompanied the giving of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. And then, of course, there's Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And then listen to this. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. How is he with us always? How? By the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's how he's with us always. And then there's John chapter 20. This is the text that I'm beginning with this morning. Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. When he said this, he breathed on them 
and said, receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, you see, is central to the Great Commission. You may distinguish the ministry of the Holy Spirit from the Great Commission, but you must not separate them. So what's the significance of the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the Great Commission? Well, simply put, it's power. Power to fulfill the Great Commission. Again, Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Luke 24, and behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with what? Power from on high. You see that Jesus has done what he has promised the church to do. He has given the church a job, a task, a command, and there's no way humanly possible that the church can fulfill it. He has given the church essentially an impossible task, but then what he's also done is that he has given the church all the resources necessary to accomplish what would otherwise be impossible. Because, of course, with God, with God, all things are what? Possible. It recalls the famous prayer of Augustine who did, said this, Lord, command what you will and grant what you command. Command what you will and grant what you command. In other words, tell me, God, what you want me to do and then do it. That's the essence of that prayer. You preach the gospel to all nations. And we say, how? And God says, with the power that I give you in the Holy Spirit. That's how. You know, the Great Commission is inspiring. It gets our juices flowing. It was a wonderful week last week. It's comprehensive. It's all of Jesus for all the world. It's, it's universal, every people, tongue, tribe, and nation included. But it's also impossible, at least it would be, if it weren't for our next core value, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So what is the ministry of the Holy Spirit? I could, I could preach for weeks on the ministry of the Holy Spirit, in fact, I'm still learning about various dimensions of the work of the Holy Spirit. I, I hope that you are as well. You're never too old to be informed about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But since we've been studying the Gospel of John recently, I'll give you a taste of what the ministry of the Holy Spirit entails by reminding you just of what we have already learned in the Gospel of John. Remember in John 20, Jesus said to them, "'Peace be with you.'" As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Breathed on them and then received the Holy Spirit. You might be wondering, what's that about? What's the significance of Jesus having breathed on them when he promised that they would receive the Holy Spirit? You know, we just sang a song, Holy Spirit, living breath of God. That's the one that Tim just taught us. Now, why did we sing that? Well, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the word for spirit is the same as the word for breath. In the New Testament, the word is pneuma in the Greek. And you'll recognize that word because that has a lot of connection with our understanding of the lungs. Pneumonia is an infection or congestion in the lungs. Pneumothorax is a collapsed lung. So you are familiar with that term. Pneuma means breath in the Greek. It also means spirit. 
In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word is ruach. Ruach is an onomatopoeia. Ooh, remember that word? You had to learn that word back in your college English class, didn't you? Onomatopoeia. Do you know what that word means? Onomatopoeia is a word which sounds like what the word is describing. And so, for instance, sizzle is an onomatopoeia. Sounds like what it's describing. Uh, also, cuckoo is an onomatopoeia. Or quack, or purr, or buzz. All those things sound like what they are describing. Well, ruach means breath in the Hebrew, and that's because if you say it right, you can actually hear the breath. Ruach. Do you hear it? Ruach. And so both in the Greek and in the Hebrew, the word for breath is the same word that is used for spirit. So when Jesus breathed on them and promised them the Holy Spirit, he was using this well-known idiom in both Greek and Hebrew to illustrate his promise to them. And so what is the ministry of the Holy Spirit as John describes it? Well, first of all, there is the Spirit's baptism. That's the first work of the Holy Spirit mentioned in the Gospel of John. In John chapter 1, beginning in verse 32, Jesus, or excuse me, John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not, did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Well, what does that mean? Well, the baptism of or by or with the Holy Spirit has been much debated across the history of the church. But unfortunately, most of the debate has revolved around a believer's experiences with the Holy Spirit rather than what the scriptures actually themselves teach. And so essentially, the baptism of the Holy Spirit has to do with the spiritual union that believers have with Jesus Christ, the spiritual union that believers have. To baptize has to do with the immersion of cloth in a dye in which the dye is forever identified with the cloth. And that's the meaning that Paul describes in Romans chapter 6, in which believers are united with Christ in his death and resurrection. Listen to this. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And then he says this, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Paul also teaches that this union with Christ is what places us into his body, the church. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, he says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of the one spirit. So all believers, by the Holy Spirit baptism, are united with Christ and united with other believers in the body of Christ, the church. And so the ministry of the Holy Spirit is what unites us to Christ and places us in his church body. And that is the goal, by the way, of the Great Commission, bringing people to faith in Jesus, but not only that, but uniting them spiritually with Jesus Christ 
and with the people of God in the church all across the globe. And that's the essence of the Spirit's baptism. Another dimension of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is the Spirit's life. Paul says that we are by nature spiritually dead. In Ephesians chapter 2, he says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Jesus teaches the same thing when he tells them that Nicodemus must be born again. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Then a couple of verses later, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. We are spiritually dead, even though we are physically alive. That's what Paul is teaching. And to have a relationship with God, we must be brought from death to life. And it is not enough to be born physically, we must be born spiritually. The Holy Spirit makes us alive spiritually when we are born again. That spiritual life is evident in other places in the Gospel of John as well. In John chapter 6, verse 63, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And then in John chapter 7, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, listen to this, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So the Holy Spirit gives true spiritual life to those who believe. And without the life that the Spirit gives, the Great Commission is hollow, and it is void of value. So the Spirit baptizes, the Spirit unites believers with Christ and His church, and He gives life to spiritually dead people. Well, what else does the Holy Spirit do? Well, the Holy Spirit helps us. Chapter 14 of the Gospel of John, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, the Spirit not only gives life to spiritually dead people, he dwells with us and in us to help us. He's called the Helper. Other translations use the word comforter or counselor or advocate. But the word for helper is parakletos. Kletos means to call, para means beside, and so the paraclete, as we would call him in an English transliteration, is one who's called along, along beside. And so when Jesus promises in the Great Commission in Matthew that I will be with you always, even to the end of the age, this is more than a promise of his presence. It's a promise also of his assistance, of his help, of his strength when we need it, when we don't think we can do it, when we are at the end of our rope, when we don't think we can manage our circumstances, when we are pushed to the limit. Jesus is there by the Holy Spirit to supply whatever it is that we need. The Holy Spirit is our helper the helper for everyone who believes from every people, tongue, and tribe, and nation. And oh, 
Does not the world need a helper right now? Believers all across this globe are under great pressure. Not just in Ukraine, but also in China, in southern Sudan, in India, and many other places. Holy Spirit is our helper. Oh, Holy Spirit, come in those places and those times and to us when we need him. Then there is the Spirit's witness. John 15, 26, but when the helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. You know, no one can really know God unless the Spirit reveals him to us. The Holy Spirit bears witness about God to us. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. As it is written, No eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. These things, listen, God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. So we can know God only through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And not only that, but through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we are able to bear witness ourselves to who God is to others. Because the text tells us, and you also will bear witness. And not only that, but there is great assurance in the Holy Spirit's witness. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. That's the Holy Spirit's witnessing. He enables us to know God, to bear witness ourselves about God, and also to be assured that we belong to God. And then there is the Holy Spirit's conviction. In the Gospel of John, chapter 16, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you, and when he comes, listen, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. You know, dear friends, no one comes to faith in Jesus Christ. No one can be saved unless they are first convicted. Conviction, by the way, is not your work. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. Not our work. We can't do the convicting work of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit does. The Great Commission is of no effect if the people that we go to and preach to and teach to are not convicted, and it is the Holy Spirit's ministry to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And then finally, there is the Spirit's teaching. John 16 again, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. 
for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. John 14, 26 said the same thing a couple of chapters earlier. The helper of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, Jesus says, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Jesus is the rabbi. He's the teacher. We are the disciples, but the Holy Spirit is the teaching assistant. He's the one who applies the teaching of Jesus to our lives. He's the one who reminds us of spiritual principles that Christ has taught us at just the time we need to be reminded. In another time and in another place, those who were wealthy in society perhaps had the means and opportunities to hire tutors for their children. And in some cases, they would actually come and live in the homestead with the family and teach the children. They would become part of the family and they would be responsible for the education of the household's children. A number of scholars used to make a living that way. And you might say to yourselves, boy, I wish I, wish I had had that kind of wealth that I could have hired a personal live-in teacher for my children. But in fact, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you do have that kind of wealth. You do, because as a believer, Christ gives you your own personal tutor. He doesn't live with you in your house. No, it's even better than that. He dwells in you. He resides in your heart, informing your mind, bringing to mind the things of Christ, transforming your will, giving you desires and dispositions to follow Jesus. He inflames your emotions, giving you delight and pleasure in the service that you give to the Savior. The ministry of the Holy Spirit includes his teaching ministry. He is our personal live-in tutor. So do you now see why the ministry of the Holy Spirit is such an important core value for the village church and why his ministry is so integral to completing the Great Commission. The Spirit baptizes believers. He unites us spiritually with Christ and unites us with his church. The Spirit gives life, regenerating us, making us alive from the dead, making us born again and giving us rivers of living waters flowing to others. The Spirit helps us. He is our paraclete, one who's called along beside to give us the strength and supply what we need for the moment. The Spirit is God's witness to us, revealing to us who God is, assuring us that we belong to him, enabling us to be witnesses to others. The Spirit convicts the world. He's the one who lets people know how much they need a Savior. And he teaches he teaches us, reminding and revealing us of Christ's person and work and his teaching. No wonder the ministry of the Holy Spirit is one of the core values of the village church. In fact, not just of the village church. It is the core value in the scriptures for the church. Our Father and our God, we come to you with the recognition that we must turn our attention and submit to the influences of the Spirit of the living God. We praise you and thank you that you do for us what we could never do for ourselves by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. 
And as we prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's Supper uh, this morning, we pray, Father, that your Spirit's influence would be ever-present with us. In Jesus' name, amen.